Hello, my name is Carolyn Bridget Flynn, and I am here with Dina Metzger. We are going to be talking about her new book, A Reign of Night Birds. And I have been involved with this book for a few years. I read it in an early draft and am a uh, great lover of the book and its character. So I'm really looking forward to talking with Dina a little bit more about the book. Welcome, Dina. Oh, thank you, Carolyn. It is a great pleasure to speak with you. It feels important to say that we have known each other for almost 30 years. And in that process of, um, in some way, ultimately, we have to say raising each other as Uh writers, Um, which is what one does when one has so deep a friendship and such a great alignment with the ideas and concerns that we're writing about. So I do want to say that you are the author of an incredible anthology, Sisters Singing, Incantations, Blessings, Prayers, Art, Songs, and Sacred Stories by Women, and also the uh, what I say on the cover, uh, the daring, luminous book of poetry, Communion, in Praise of the Sacred Earth, and since 1996, um, which was seven years after we met, uh, you began uh, traveling to Ireland on your own and uh, are now working uh, on an incredible manuscript, which I have had a chance to read and draft as well, The Light of Ordinary Days. Thank you. That is incredibly generous of you to say we have been raising each other, uh, and uh, but that is like you and many of us who have been working with you for a while know that generosity of spirit, and we have come to a point where we're raising each other and um, urging each other into new areas where we hadn't been before and then supporting each other in new areas where as writers, as uh, people of spirit, we hadn't known how to go before. So um, I I consider our alliance very, very vital. As do I, because when a friend or a colleague goes off, as you did, to um, touch the sacred, then everyone around you, uh, Mm -hmm. and that includes me, is inspired in the same way. And Mm -hmm. A Reign of Nightbirds is about finding the sacred in a devastated world mm-hmm. and seeing mm-hmm. if the sacred can assist us in mm-hmm. finding the path to mm-hmm. um, to restoration, to sanity, uh, to survival. Yes. And so I think in our in our different ways in in this particular book looking at uh, indigenous native american wisdom mm-hmm. in your book the exploration of Ireland and its profound and spirited past, um, we have been companions in a world that is disdainful, if not ignorant, of the reality of the sacred. Yes. And I think watching you over many years, you know, you come from – 
a Jewish background, grew up in New York, and yet you have found yourself allying so deeply with uh, indigenous uh, mind uh, in the United States, uh, in the Americas, and also in Africa. And many of us, including myself, have watched you do this uh, and learned a great deal as you have you have actively said, how can I change how my mind works? Or how can I allow my mind to be changed by the activities of spirit? Yes. Because mm. I, don't, I know that it was not my will that could have accomplished this, but that I have been uh, trained by um, the spirits. And perhaps what I brought to it was my willingness to listen, um, an ability to pay attention, and my desperate uh, devotion and love for the earth. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And so to me, having read your work, you know, um, I I, I did a count, Dina, you know, you've published 20 books. Really? Um, (laughs) Yeah, fiction, poetry, plays and nonfiction. Uh, so, you know, you, you've been at this a long time. And in some ways, A Reign of Nightbirds to me is a pinnacle of, um, you know, your whatever, 50 years of study and devotion, uh, where you have found a way to explore very complex uh, sort of intellectual issues in a way. But to me, your book is character driven. So when I first met your characters, as I told you at the time, I cleaved to them, and yeah. I still remember them so well. And I thought we might talk about your book by talking about your characters, because they bring us everywhere, and their story is um, incredible and beautiful, and it has so many different layers to it. Well, I would love to do that, but I have to start by saying they're not my characters. Thank and you. that is the essence of the book. These characters were presented to me and Mm -hmm. in in, in such a particular way, which I'll talk about. And I had a mandate to allow them to reveal themselves Mm -hmm. and their Mm -hmm. lives. So I had just um, published the novel that I wrote before, La Negra y Blanca, and mm-hmm. I was given giving an early reading in Joshua Tree. It was February 2011. And as I was driving home from there, I stopped in the middle of, of the desert in mm-hmm. the winter and went out to take a walk and found myself engaged with what sadly always engages me these days, picking up mm-hmm. garbage. And when my hands right. and pockets were full, these words came out of my mouth, and I said, I'm sorry. I was so sorry for the trashing mm-hmm. of beauty. Right. And then I heard a voice, and the voice said, You know, her name mm-hmm. is Sandra Birdswell, uh-huh. and she is a meteorologist. <laughs> Well, I didn't know. Sandra Birdswell was not a name that I ever would have thought of. I actually went online to see if there were other Birdswells. 
Um, right. And I didn't find any. Um, wow. And so I had to find out who she was. And the book began very slowly to to manifest. And I learned that she was the daughter of John Birdswell, that he was a physician, a kind of country doc, small town uh, doc, um, that he had spent time on the uh, on on the Four Corners Reservation in the Indian Health Service instead of going to Vietnam. And he had spent two years that were formative for him. And in that time, he met um, the uh, medicine person, young elder, uh, Hastin Seda. And uh, they had a... Uh, a, a, a sort of raw, difficult first meeting, and then became, uh, over time, uh, deep friends. Hastin Seda was able to teach John Birdswell some of the essence of indigenous medicine. And so one of the themes that appeared in the book is the relationship or the lack of relationship between Western medical ways and indigenous medicine ways. And the uh, sadness, perhaps, that um, Western medical ways do not have the healing essences or spiritual understandings of um, indigenous medicine. And then, again, in the way that things appear... Um, I learned that uh, Sandra, who was going to be a meteorologist, actually changed her focus uh, to some extent when she began to see what was happening on the planet. And instead of meteorology, which is about weather, she began to study climate and climate change. Right. And right. the chair of her department uh, was Terrence Green, who is... Um, mixed blood, a native man teaching in a Western institution, originally with the hope of learning how Western people were thinking so that he could uh, assist his people in dealing with the Western world. But he is divided. You were talking about divisions. He is divided between the the authority or the authoritarianism of Western science and Western mind and his own deep knowing from his grandparents and the red path of mm-hmm. the the spiritual reality of mm-hmm. the earth. Beautiful. And, and, and in that brief time, you've introduced the four main characters, and uh, that's lovely. You know, there's Sandra Birdswell, who's the first one who appears. There's her father, the medical doctor, John Birdswell. Sandra is the climatologist, grows up to become a climatologist. We meet John when Sandra's first born. Uh, he raises Sandra by himself, uh, her mother dying in childbirth. And we really very quickly fall in love with John as a young character. Um, 
we then meet Hustine as he and John meet early on the reservation when John is first working there. And we fall in love with Hostine. <laughs> and they're very, at first, caustic and then increasingly lovely interaction. And ultimately, the two men form a lifelong bond. And uh, Hostine is part of raising Sandra, who calls him uncle. So there's this beautiful threesome already. And then uh, further into the book, we meet, uh, Sandra goes on to graduate school, and we meet the fourth character who's the key pivot moment that, you know, in a narrative then brings apart or brings along um, a new set of events, and that's Terrence Green. Uh, and he's this remarkable character, and there is a key love story between Terrence and Sandra. And so you mentioned that many people, when they talk to you about the book, they will say, oh, what a beautiful love story the book is and has at its core. And I understand that, that the love story that you wrote is um, quite specific to them, very, very fascinating and erotic. And, you know, I wondered as you did it, because, you know, you're no longer 35, but, you know, <laughs> you were right inside that world, which was very impressive. But in truth, as I, I've just been with the book, but and I thought about this all along, uh, and as you said, it's really a love story between four people. It's a love story between Sandra and John and Hostine and Terrence, and how they all meet and the various interrelationships, inter which in a way is so much larger and profound, and the depths upon depths that one can find in each of those relationships is heart-opening and in its way life-changing because there you see these different um, relationships, some Native people, some uh, mixed blood, some of European descent, some don't even know their descent. It's interesting about Sandra and John in that John was adopted, Sandra never knows her mother, so they're not connected to any lineage that they can find. Um, it's a wonderful set of characters. And I wonder if you would talk about what it was like to find yourself, as you say, they're not your characters, they came to you, to have these Native characters show up to you, a woman of Jewish descent. How was that to take that on and write about these characters? Well, I think that Judaism, which is very strong in me in its cultural and mm -hmm. um, ethical aspects, has right. also fallen away from my consciousness. Mm -hmm. in, in the course of these years where I have become aware of indigenous wisdom and earth-based and spirit-based uh, ways of knowing. And so it was, it was like I was watching a film which was also within me, and I was within it. I was wow. in the reality of these mm. people. Yeah. And um, this, in one of the early drafts, the presence of the narrator, that is my presence, went all the way through the book because I was trying to find some way perhaps to justify my writing this book. Yeah. And I yeah. thought if I admitted that I was yeah. writing it, that would be better. 
And so there was a moment when Terence says to Sandra something about, we can't speak about this now. And she says, why not? Aren't we alone? And he, in that Mm. moment, had a sense of my presence. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this is not okay. I must Mm -hmm. remove myself. I cannot inhibit them from their lives. And so I had to intuit when it was okay to reveal them to the reader or even to myself. And when somehow unwritten, their private lives existed and yet affected the book. I had to learn an mm. etiquette. The etiquette mm. of the writer to the character and the etiquette of the writer to the characters who are from different cultures. And you know, we watch the um non-native uh characters question their own capacity to interact in a way that has integrity with the native characters and and I hear you doing the same thing appropriately in your role as writer with the you know a- acting in integrity with these actual you know living beings yes and I had to ask native people that I knew to read the mm-hmm. book to be mm-hmm. certain that I was respectful and that I was not saying anything that couldn't be said, and that I wasn't revealing any ceremonial knowledge that I may have that I had no right to reveal. Right. And ultimately, um, there were times when, when I thought, I don't have a right to do this. But as it says in, in the one place that the writer comes in, which is in... Uh, in the preface, Sandra appeared and then Terence appeared. I had great trepidation about writing about him. I didn't know if I had the right to write about a Native man in as much as cultural appropriation is an ongoing violation. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have the right to refuse him either. I had to accept what negative consequences might come to me for my limitation. Mm-hmm and mm-hmm. hope to have the skill to record his true self, to honor and respect him as is his due. I had to yield to him. He wanted to live. He asserted that the text cannot exist without him. He carries wisdom. The time for this wisdom has come. Terence, Hosting, Seda, they will not be erased. And that felt essential. Absolutely. And uh, yes, that's right from the preface, which is, you know, you did uh, keep that aspect of your author voice just at the very beginning of the book. And I thought that choice worked beautifully. Well, you helped me with it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it, and it did work. And so, uh, you know, what has been the reaction not to, from friends who you asked to read before publication and then, you know, native readers since and uh, in terms of the book itself? I have been so fortunate. I mean, I um, 
I went through the book again and again and again, and it was changed and 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 things were rewritten and 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 altered and refined. But at this moment, I have had an extraordinary, consistent response from Native people to the book that has been salutary. Everyone that I've spoken to, I don't want to say has praised it. It feels as if when I speak with a Native person that we are in alliance with a common goal to honor and respect and bring forth Native wisdom. Right. And primarily on behalf of this poor, beleaguered earth. Yeah. It seems very clear to me uh, from from my research and my experience over the years with indigenous people and Native Americans um, from this continent um, that Native wisdom would never act in the ways that we act, that Native people would never contaminate and destroy and violate the earth the way we do. And so it is stepping out of Western mind, stepping away from many aspects of Western science and many aspects of Western medicine to other and older and more profound ways of knowing that these are the ways that we may save the planet. Well, I was just thinking, you know, listening to this, I mean, first of all, it is huge that um, you've had the response that you've had. It just speaks to the integrity with which you have, uh, you know, done your work leading up to this book, uh, as well as uh, your relationship with these characters and the uh, care that you took so that when readers read it, they feel in alliance with your purpose and goals and feel, feel held within it. And I'm struck that, um, you know, wasn't your pre-publication reading at Louise Erdrich's bookstore? Yes. What an incredible honor. And then uh, Birch Bark Books and Native Arts in in Minneapolis, Minnesota, agreed to be our indie go-to bookstore so that people who might not want to buy the book through Amazon could easily buy the book through Birch Bark. So again, alliance that exactly. feels so important. It um, does. It does. And for you know, just to say, one of the preeminent um, voices writing in the United States today, uh, Louise Erdrich. Uh, wonderful to have that alliance and uh, with her and her bookstore. But I know you have also many other uh, Native readers, and obviously many, many readers. So um, I, I'm just not surprised, but it's gratified that it's being held so well. And then you go to the reason for it, which is, you know, the profound concern about the earth and climate change and all of it, species extinction, uh, what's happening everywhere, uh, that has fueled your work for all of these years and is at the core of um, particularly Sandra and Terrence and their work as climatologists. And Sandra is someone who, from the time that she was a a very small child, could feel what was happening to the earth and Mm -hmm. could feel it in her body. Mm -hmm. And 
she is anguished about mm-hmm. what is happening. So this love story, in a sense, exists within the tragedy of yes. this time. And when she meets Terrence, not as a uh, chair of her department, but as a friend and and a lover and a partner, then neither she nor he can um, can dull themselves to the horrors of this time. And it is the love story, which is a true love story, allows us to bear what is really happening on the earth and also requires us to bear witness. Yes. And so it was a very hard book to write because I had to learn what they know. Uh It is not easy. So you had to read all of those climate reports that they were reading and all of that kind of thing. Absolutely. And oh my goodness. it was like I was led to read the uh, IPCC International Panel on Climate Change report from 2007. And uh, when I read it, then I understood how it affected Terrence when he read yes. it. Yes. And yes. it undid him. Yes. You want to talk about that for a moment? Well, in that report, which is I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of pages right. now, I don't right. remember, there is a tiny paragraph, and there are about five sentences that refer to indigenous ecological knowledge or traditional ecological knowledge called tech. And it refers to the knowledge that farmers have in Burkina Faso about their crops and climate. And Mm. there's just the slightest suggestion that we might learn something from them that, Uh quote, science could use. And it is the first mention, because then I went Mm -hmm. back and looked through the other reports to see if there were Uh other mentions of tech, traditional Uh ecological knowledge, and there isn't. So he recognizes that indigenous wisdom is completely outside of all the scientific reports and that the same mind that is trying to heal Mm -hmm. the situation is the mind that created it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so these tiny references, they strike him in the heart. And he has to go and read the entire report on the sacred mountain, Mount Hood, where his grandfather took him when he was a child and initiated him into the sacred, knowing that he would forget and knowing also that somewhere in his depths, at the right time, he would remember. And so when he is on the mountain, and I don't want to say much more, sure. the, mm-hmm. the remembering undoes him, as it must, because mm. his entire history and the history of colonization and the conquest mm-hmm. of this country comes back in him and lives in him 
and it undoes him. And my hope is in writing this book that the readers will feel the earth and the elementals and the spirits in the way Sandra does and will also bear witness and experience within themselves the the knowledge that Sandra and Terrence carry and the heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And the thing about these characters is that there's no there are differences between them and there are difficulties. But this is not a book mm-hmm. about the conflict between one person mm-hmm. and another. No, right. At and all. Not at all. They are right. looking for alliance. That's right. And and holding each other up as they bear witness to these times. And they are looking for the ways that we meet these times. And that what what conclusions they come to um, well, the reader will have to find out. But I hope that the reader will be taken, will, will live through the the ways of knowing and the conclusions in the way that Terrence and Sandra live through them. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And, you know, it. And I'll mention that <clears throat> it is absolutely correct to say that Terrence is undone and in another way and in, a, in another kind of scene Sandra herself goes off to a place uh, where she needs to kind of look directly at what's going on with the earth and she's undone and yet both of them are in various ways by the end of the book as the river of life keeps moving they're put back together because of the relationships between the four of them and because of their love of the earth and the longer story of the earth. So there is uh, there's a seeing in here. It is not a conflict where we're watching, you know, a conflict between personalities or people. And then we're, we're wondering how they're going to work it out because it's not a human centered book, even though the characters really drive it. It is right. a book about the earth. It's a book about the earth. And our love of the earth and all of the all of us who love nature, who love that sense of when we're away from the city and somewhere quiet with the woods or the sea, and we know that we're more deeply ourselves in those moments than we've ever been before, all of us read a book like this, and we can bear what we know but haven't been willing to look at so directly as you've been as you had to look at directly in order to write it. So, you know, we read the summaries about the IPCC reports in the newspaper and that kind of thing. But you had to read it. Sandra had to read it. Terrence had to read it. And um, through your undoing, their undoing, and then finding a way through, not a happily ever after, but a, a possible way to be in relationship with these questions. And it's, it's, it's life-altering to read it. Because it happens well. inside us. We live That's it right. as we read it. We do. That's and it. And there are, there, there are hardly anyone I know who isn't undone by what's going on with the planet and absolutely undone by a complete confusion about what can be done. Right. So, you know, how do you bear grief that uh, over something that someone has so little capacity or it can feel as if there's so little capacity to do it and the problem is so large and multifaceted that, you know, one can feel defeated. So um, 
a book like this is uh, really everything in a way. So that's mm. why I'm thrilled you wrote it. I'm thrilled that it's out there for people to read. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, I love the idea that all of us have it to read and to give to our beloveds. Uh, here, read this. Give it to everyone you, you, know, you know who's in grief uh, because this will both help you hold it uh, help you understand you're not crazy and help you uh, as you as you live with it to, you know, because looking holding grief but never looking at it is the definition of sickness. And I think there's another part to it that the book calls us to start a conversation on how we meet these times in ways we never imagined we might meet mm. them. We have to step out of the limitations of mm-hmm. the seemingly all-powerful Western mind, which right. feels helpless, yeah. and look for other ways. And I think that the book, in the way it lives in people, and the characters, in the way they live in us, open paths. At least they open a conversation, and that means that we are all engaged with each other, saying, how are we going to meet it? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yes. No one of us can do it alone, but we can begin an original and unexpected conversation Mm -hmm. that will take each one of us on a path. And that's part of it, too, that meeting climate change is walking a spiritual path. That's huge. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That's huge. Let me try. These times, like illness, call us to change our lives. And they call us to find lives that are aligned with the earth and with spirit and to listen deeply to to listen to what the causes are of our predicament mm-hmm. and then to listen to what we might hear of how to how to live mm-hmm. and so meeting change, meeting climate change is changing our minds and then our lives mm-hmm. and walking in the world in a sacred and um, uh, sacred and pragmatic way. And maybe this takes us to um, something that I think has influenced, beginning to influence our culture very profoundly, even through or especially through its heartbreak, and that's Standing Rock. What we learned from the Native elders and then the Native youngers meeting Mm-hmm. Dapple meeting the mm-hmm. the pipeline is that the spiritual work and and the activism had to be aligned. Yes, that's right. And that would make a difference. There is some understanding of yes, this, though it right. was before Standing yeah. Rock in the novel. Where the, at 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 Standing Rock, they would say this isn't a political action; it's a spiritual action. Right. It's it's primarily a spiritual action. Uh and yes, that was a that that is a um 
paradigm shift of the huge of a huge order and and that's what the book calls us to what is the path we're going to walk how are we going to live differently what mm-hmm. guidance will we be open to mm-hmm. so that the earth can be restored and the violence that started with the conquest of this country will stop. So I think this book has as much to say about Charlottesville and and Houston. We're now, as we're talking, we're we're facing this huge hurricane and uh, rainfall, floods. Yes. You know, like everything about climate change. Exactly. No question. And also it's the most, one of the most diverse cities in the country. So, you know, all sorts of people are affected by that. Right. By what's going on. So how are we going to live so this does not happen? And there's some reversal. It's interesting that you opened this question about addressing climate change as a spiritual path by saying, Often when someone has a very life-threatening personal illness, it brings, it catalyzes a change in one's life and brings, a, uh, brings along a spiritual shift as well as a shift in how one lives, where one lives, uh, one's ideas about what they want to do in their lives, and this idea that that's the exact moment that we're in with the earth. Yes critical, critical uh, condition. Um, And, you know, how do we really look at that and then walk it as a spiritual story? Right. You know, in 2004, I gave the keynote address for the uh, American Holistic Medical Association. Mm -hmm. And in that address, I named the earth as the patient that Mm. the physicians had to Mm. be addressing Every mm. moment when they were healing their two-legged patients, their human patients, and part of that thinking is, has infiltrated in, into in, into the book because I've known from my own experience uh, with breast cancer in 1977 that I had to meet cancer by changing my life. Yes. And now we have to meet the diseases of the earth, the pain and diseases and cancers of the earth by changing our lives. And it was a matter of life and death. It wasn't arbitrary. That's right. And, you know, I'll mention that, um, you know, your book, Tree, that, that came out of your journal during that time was not unlike A Reign of Nightbirds, the book we're discussing now. Uh, one of those books that, uh, you know, is helping a generation of people learn how to face a coming um, plague. You know, you were one of the first women to write about breast cancer so deeply and openly. And, of course, there's your um, internationally known famous poster (laughs) of yourself. Um, uh, Who's the photographer briefly? Tilla Hammond. That's it. That's it. So beautiful, uh, you know, your torso, um, from your, your photograph from the torso up after you've had uh, one breast removed and uh, the, the um, beautiful tattoo there and your uh, just 
stunning poem. And you're against the, the, the open earth and the sky we see behind you. And I have seen many, many, many women look at that, never knowing you, never having any idea of your work, and saying, I feel more proud to be a woman from just <laughs> looking at that. It, it's just one of those things that has gone around the world many, many times. And uh, one of those iconic images of a certain issue of a certain kind of illness. And you have now just brought in that conversation over these many years about how we face many kinds of illnesses. And now the, you know, this great, great uh, illness that our actions have caused, I don't know if illness is the right word, but uh, with the earth itself. Although well, you talk uh, about, go ahead. Sandra calls it illness. Yeah, I was just going to say that, right. Right. It's she, she calls it that the earth has a fever. And, you know, that was the other thing I was hoping we'd be able to get to during this conversation because uh, the other part of this book that's so um, just so deeply informative, fascinating, interesting, and fun in its strange way because it's just well told is this, 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 uh, these two healers, John Birdswell <laughs> and Hostine Seda. So we've got these two men who become dear friends uh, they're the elders of the two, Sandra and Terrence, uh, but they exist throughout the book. And their, um, their ongoing understanding of what Western medicine can do versus what uh, traditional medicine can do, which is what Hostine practices, uh, their confrontation and then their friendship is such a lovely song throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts about these two and this the way these two sets of thinking, they clash in the book, but they don't, you don't set up this, these arch enemies. You set up friends who have to figure it out. Well, I was aware when, when the writing of their meeting began to come through me that because John Birdswell is a very compassionate man, and very sensitive, and this is before Sanders born, um, but he was already trained by life, I think, to listen deeply to whatever was going on around him. He knew that as a white man, he had to approach a Native elder or a Native mm-hmm. medicine person with great respect, and he also knew that he was completely innocent of knowing how to do it and that he was definitely (laughs) going to mess up, (laughs) which, of course, he did. (laughs) But he messed up with the right person because Hostin Seda, being a true medicine person, could read his intentions. And he needed an ally because he also went to the hospital where John Birdswell worked and worked with the patients. And he mm-hmm. needed to have an ally there. And he That's wanted right. to be able to train John to understand that medicine can't be applied um, just universally, that the, the Western idea of standard medicine for any patient, you take right. this pill in this amount, didn't mm-hmm. work. Certainly didn't work for his people, yes. and and so over time their conversation develops, 
And John asks the right questions, even when they're mm-hmm. hard to ask. And mm-hmm. Hostine has to tell him how hard it is for Native people to live in a, mm-hmm. a, under conquest. Mm-hmm. And at first, John doesn't get it. Like, of course, we don't get it. But ultimately, he does. And the two of them, they can't be without each other. And uh-huh. they, they, they really need uh-huh. each other uh, uh-huh. in their t- terrible loneliness. Both of them have lost their wives. Right. Both of them are living alone. Both right. of them are facing all the illness and despair of this time. And John is aware um, because he wouldn't go to Vietnam. His foster parents or his adopted parents were um, Quakers. Mm-hmm. Um, but John is aware that the veterans and, and, you know, Native men volunteer in higher proportions to serve in the service than pretty much any other group because they have a warrior tradition. Oh, and, gosh, right, of course. Uh, right, and so it's very contradictory. Right. Yes, um, it is. Yep, uh-huh. But they were coming home with a strange illness, and John was aware of it. He didn't know what it was, as no one did. Of course, now we know it was Agent Orange. And oh, knowing that wow. it was Agent right. Orange, we mm-hmm. know also about the diseased mind that would use that. So it's, it's all of these things are, are binding them together. Because Hostein doesn't say much about that. He just says, I know. Right. And then we understand right. what Native people know that we don't know. Right. And must know. And I just want to mention that um, in addition to the complexity and profound seriousness of their interaction, John and Hostine, um, I mentioned, I think I said funny, you know, they're, they're very playful and uh, <laughs> sweet. So, you know, there's something about their relationship that feels completely true and um, quirky and individual to them. And when you said uh, earlier in our conversation that it was almost like writing a movie that you were getting these characters, that made sense to me because of the just the trueness that uh, I felt from all of these uh, all of these people. Um, they exist, uh, you know, somewhere in that imaginal realm uh, as complete, whole, and um, complex, flawed, lovely, learning people, and you let that come through at the same time that these very serious questions about the two kinds of getting at healing and, you know, how one really understands science versus indigenous mind and these large questions are absolutely uh, uh, made a part of their conversation, but you do it in a way that's uh, entirely endearing. It's uh, it's quite a feat, and I'm I'm uh, I'm very much in admiration. You know, and as you're talking about that, what I'm realizing is, is that implicit then in the book is that deep relationships can occur between men and women, between That's native right. and non-native people, yes. between 
the parents' generation and the children's generation, all the divisions that we think are right, they don't have to exist. Camaraderie and alliance can really exist. That's right. That's beautiful. I think that's exactly right, that there, there are these alliances done. They're across gender. They're across age. They're across ethnicity and spiritual traditions. Uh, and I don't even know if across is the word, but there's this way in which they find each other. And that is the hope of what you've written. Yes. And that a, a complex world is diverse. Each one's right. vision and knowledge fits. It doesn't have to conflict. It resonates with the That's other. huge. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Because what's the way forward? You know, well, we, you know, uh, uh, the kinds of relationships that you allow to um, and unfold in this book shows us a path. And I have to say, Carolyn, at this moment, that our 30-year friendship... Mm. Um, is a sign of that. Yeah. You know, that that I can see the connection between these people, um, or maybe that I could write it in this way, because you and I and you and others and I and others also have these true relationships. True. Where who we are individually and, and our individual and specific explorations make a field of knowing and connection that is real, and right. and the world has changed accordingly. That's right. I want to thank you so much for this time with you. Oh, it's what been wonderful, Dina. Thank you so much. And may we continue writing and talking. <laughs> Another 30 years. Another 30 years. (laughs) Thank you, Dina. Thank you.